sometimes would you agree with me, circumstances stink. Would you also say that sometimes when those circumstances stink, your attitude kicks into a different gear? Like right now, Noah's Park is saying, man, circumstances stink because pastor's not releasing the kids to go to Noah's Park. But we will, or as they tagged it earlier, kids, you can go to Jurassic Park as of now. And they do. Sometimes circumstances simply do stink. And we don't have control over those. I believe that's why we are admonished to walk circumspectly as we read in Ephesians 5. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read this to you. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Scripture says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. There's an admission that we read in Ephesians chapter 5 that things aren't perfect. Matter of fact, they're far from perfect. They're actually evil. Circumstances that are around us are not always good, but rather, quite often, they're bad. And it goes on to say, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. With that said, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. For circumstances are what shrouded the birth of Christ. Circumstances that we, reading through the Christmas story, will quite often just pass over and not think too deeply upon or not think too much about and we come into church and we sit with brothers and sisters in Christ and you know what everybody's got circumstances going on in their life and quite often we think nothing about the regard of other circumstances that are taking place you lost your job this year Merry Christmas you suffered a financial loss Merry Christmas you suffered a personal loss, and, and that will not be replaced in this world. Merry Christmas. And you know, the resolve of Christians is amazing. Because quite often they're able to look you back in the eye, and no matter what they're going through, they're able to say back to you, Merry Christmas. And I believe the reason for that is because Christians, if they understand the work of God in this world, Christians, if they understand the way of God in this world, Christians, if they're walking circumspectly, you know what circumspectly means? It means eyes wide open. It means that you're looking at what's out there and you're not making rash judgments, emotional dependent judgments upon what's taking place, but rather you're bringing thoughtful consideration into view in what you see around you. And you're actually considering purpose and plan and motive. Not of me, but of God. And you're able to say, no matter the circumstances that you're going through, yeah, it's a Merry Christmas. Not because of the circumstances, but in spite of the circumstances. And so we're able to have that circumspect walk in the world that we live in because of the work that Christ has done, coming in the manger, living in the flesh, dying on the cross, buried in the tomb, resurrected from the grave, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then we have something disastrous touch our life. Loss of job, loss of finances, loss of loved one. Whatever it is we're going through, that disastrous event touches our life. And we realize... 
this world's not the end. That he has broken the bonds of death. He has defeated the enemy. He has risen to give us glory instead of shame. And we can say, you know what? What I'm going through right now is temporary. What I'm going through right now is seasonal. But what he has in store for me is glory, 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 glory. And then we can say hallelujah. That's circumspect. Look at Luke chapter 2, begin in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I said it last time I preached out of this text, which was two Sundays ago, that Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God that's been put in front of us in flesh, clothed incarnate, so that we could understand a piece, a portion, a product of the will of God, and that is the forgiveness of sins, and we can walk with God for all eternity. But my friends, you could look at this story, and if you really look at this story, you could see how Joseph and Mary, with all that was going on, could pretend to be victims of circumstance they could say woe is me we were just trying to have uh, the the israelite dream we were just trying to do things the best we could possibly do things and all of these things started crushing in around us and happening to us all of a sudden a census is decreed you got to go and get registered well they nobody wants to go travel for government business correct and yet that's what was forced upon them to pick up and go and register. You know it takes money to travel. And if you've been like me and Lori at times in your marriage, or if you're just newly married or you're getting married, there's going to be days you just don't have it. And all of a sudden you're going to have to pick up and travel. Why? Because Thanksgiving comes and then Christmas comes and you've got family you've got to go see and you crash at every home between wherever you live and wherever you're going to because you ain't got the money to spend on a motel room. These young people here, Mary and Joseph, they weren't wealthy. They didn't have what it took to travel and, and fill out this census that was needed. And they get to the road that they have to walk, and they have to walk it with a pregnant woman. She's pregnant. Well, you know what kind of rumors that's going to start. 
After all, they're not married yet. You read the word betrothed. That means no relations could have taken place according to proper uh, roles in this day and time and should not take place according to proper roles today either until marriage becomes a part of the picture. But you know the rumors were there. And they get there and there's no room in the inn and they deliver, Mary delivers while traveling. That's a tough, tough week. But you know what? Whatever tough week you're going through, God has a plan. And when I said Jesus is the wisdom of God personified, if you're walking according to the will and way of God, listen to me, Christian. If you're walking according to the will and way of God, you become the wisdom of God personified as well. You say, wait a minute, I'm not the Savior. No, but you are the Savior's. And if you are the Savior's and His will is being played out in your life, you become a walking testimony of the work of God, the way of God, the will of God. And when you become a walking testimony of those things, then when you walk through the problems of life, circumspectly discerning what God is doing in the midst of your problems, then the world gets to see how you walk through it in wisdom according to His way, not according to folly. And when the world sees you doing that, they don't have an explanation for it. They lost their loved one, yet they're rejoicing. How are they doing that? Finances departed this family, yet they don't seem to be fretting and wringing their hands about what they're going to do. A diagnosis was given, yet the person seems to be very confident that God is completely in control. You become a walking testimony of the wisdom of God when you walk in that very way. They, they demonstrated what it meant to trust God because they knew God had a divine plan. How do we know that? Well, we read Luke chapter 2, and we see angels singing, and we see shepherds responding, and we see a babe lying in a manger, and we know the rest of the story that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again. And we say, yeah, God had a divine plan. What about when you don't see it so clearly? What about when you're on that side of the problems and you don't know how God's going to work it out on that side of the problems? Do you walk circumspectly? Sensing that even in the midst of the evil that's befallen you, God has a plan. Last week we looked at this and we understood that Satan is a deceiver. That his job description is to kill, steal, and lie. And he uses that motif to rob unbelievers of the opportunity to know Christ because they reject and refuse. But my friends, he uses that motif to rob believers of joy and peace and wisdom. Kill, stealing, and lying is still his modus operandi. And he still uses those same tactics and those same methods to steal the glory of God as best as he can. And that's why I love the fact that we, when we read in Ephesians chapter 5, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. There's an admission there. You're still walking through that lie and deceit of Satan. Satan's been destroying God's plan as best he could, but it doesn't work. 
Here's the fact checks on Satan that we looked at last week. He's a created being, and therefore he shares none of God's attributes. I'll go through this really quickly to catch you up with what we did actually two weeks ago. Satan's a created being and shares none of God's attributes. In Colossians chapter 1, we see everything was created by God. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him. And if the verse ended right there, we'd say, wait, God created all things. That includes even Satan? Why would he do that? Because it's not only created by him, but the last two words of that verse shows you it's created for him the creation of the angels that god had around his throne in his dominion on high the creation of the angels where one-third of those angels were cast down uh, from heaven the creation of those angels opened the door for his glory to be known otherwise than it would have ever been known and that glory is known as a forgiving god a redeeming god a loving god a sacrificial god not just an all-powerful god but a god that says to you in your heart of hearts that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and and that's the display of God's glory that can only be known when the want and the need has been put on full exhibition and my friends when you look into your own life and your own heart and your own mind and you realize that you do not live up to the glory of God there has to be a bridge built and you can't do it Your works will never be good enough. Your efforts will never make it. Nothing you do will ever build the bridge to the glory of God. And when when Christ died for your sins, that all of a sudden exploded onto the scene how much he loves each one of you. That's something that could not have been known without evil being in the world around us. He's a created being. He was created good. He fell from his dominion. God created the angels. They rebelled against him. Turn real quickly to Revelation chapter 12. You're in Luke. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 2. Don't lose your place. I don't want you doing extra work that you don't have to. But turn to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now a great I'm sorry, let me let you catch up. Now we're in verses 1 through 5. Thanks for turning there, by the way, all those leaves of pages flipping. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne there in Luke in Revelation chapter 12 verses 1 through 5 you see the whole paradigm of the need and the gift that was given to suffice it you see Jesus is that child 
And Satan is the fiery red dragon. And his whole identity is to rebel against God and destroy the works of God. So he is a created being under the canopy of what God is and has done. He created uh, angels. They rebelled against him. But as a created being, secondly, Satan has to rely upon what he can figure out. That's what we covered two weeks ago. Won't spend much time on it. But he doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. He can't control the things that take place. He is actually subject to God's control and what God does in his creation. He, he, he has to rely upon what he can figure out. He can figure out that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. He can understand approximate timing. He, he can guess certain things and he concentrated demons in the Holy Land to try to be that fiery serpent you read in Revelation 12 that wanted to snuff the Christ child out. That's why the heart of the king was turned to kill all the baby boys born under three years of age. Because Satan wanted to end the work of the Messiah as early and as soon as he could. He was lying in wait. But folks, what we talked about two weeks ago, Satan lost. He lost. And that's why we're able to look at the circumstances we're going through, no matter how good they are or how bad they are, and realize that because of the victory of Jesus Christ, these circumstances are passing, they're ebbing, they're flowing. They didn't come to stay, but they came for the glory of God that we might exhibit the wisdom and way of God as we walk through them. That we might cast our cares upon Him, for He cares for us that we might walk with integrity and walk understanding the victorious Savior. John chapter 3, verse 8. For he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's the wisdom of God that brought Jesus that destruction would take place, destruction of what Satan trying to do. Evil loses. Satan's defeated. Christ is that victorious Savior. So that was the fact checks we covered on Satan two weeks ago. But we need some fact checks on God. What's some fact checks we can look at God when it comes to this narrative that we find in Luke chapter 2 with the birth of Christ? Number one, God's wisdom is higher. God's wisdom is higher than any created being. And we've already established Satan was a created being. So when Satan says check, God's able to say checkmate. And there's nothing that Satan can do to destroy the work of God or the plan of God. Look at God's wisdom in this whole narrative that we find in Luke chapter 2. First of all, God chose a woman from Nazareth. Women not walking in the highest respect of society, not having the greatest authority. And those were understatements of understatements. They were looked at more as property and possession than personhood. And in the viewing that women had in that society, surely a woman wouldn't be the vehicle of transport for the glory of God to come to the earth. Certainly that would not be the case. But yeah, God's wisdom in all of his ways says he understands every intent of what Satan's trying to do. And he chooses a woman to be the vehicle of transport. 
for the glory of God. He foreordained it as it's prescribed throughout the Old Testament. And when he chooses Mary, as you read in verses 4 through 5, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. There she is, a woman from a little insignificant town, not the Mecca of the glory of God. Not the center stage or centerpiece of religious activity. A little insignificant town far to the north. What what is God's wisdom doing in this situation? Satan's job description to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill the baby as soon as the baby's born. Every kid three years older, every every man three years older, sorry, every boy three years older, the king turned his heart to kill them. Jesus, having his roots from a little insignificant town, was far out of the scope and view of what Satan knew. He had no inkling of all of the details that God would bring by his wisdom, which is higher than than anybody's. God chose a woman from Nazareth. God allowed her purity and morality to be questioned. She's betrothed in verse 5. She's pregnant. Also, Mary's mom probably didn't believe her. Her dad, her family probably questioned the pregnancy that had been given to her by God. And you know in small town society what happens when something takes place in a family. It usually doesn't stay in the family. So you guess all the neighbors may have had news of this as well. Her own future husband, Joseph, didn't believe her. He had to be told by God that this was indeed God's child that he was given to Mary. There's no way that God would bring his son through a woman who was pregnant and out of wedlock. Satan would not even give an eye's look to what God might be doing. But oh Christian, you need to. You need to see the circumstances that are in your life and you need to understand that God is doing something in and through you and God is doing something in that situation for his glory. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. To see the situation and say, God, I don't understand it. I can't completely evaluate it. But I know, God, that you work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And as you stand on faith in that, God begins to show you a little more and a little more and a little more. Oh, but don't believe you're going to see the whole picture. I believe that you're going to be a thousand years, a half a million years into eternity. And you're still going to be discovering the glory of God that he began unfolding in your life while you were here. You're going to begin seeing how God used situation and opportunity so that His glory would be known forever and ever and ever to those who love Him and that you walked according to His purpose those days that you didn't even know you were walking according to His purpose. God's wisdom is higher. God's timing is perfect. Galatians chapter 4 tells us this in verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might have the adoption as sons. Fullness of time. God didn't look at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve both fell into trespass and sin and shake his hands and wag his head and say, what am I going to do now? You see, God's plan from creation forward, even before creation, before the foundations of the earth, was that His glory would be known as it's been presented through His Word, that His glory would be known as that loving God, as that forgiving God, as that saving God. That was God's plan all along, that that the diabolical plot and plan of Satan to overthrow him and set on high himself would never come to anything because God says checkmate through the person of Jesus Christ. That's been his plan all along. And all of a sudden here we have it bursting onto the scene. Luke chapter 2. When the fullness of time had come expressed to us by Paul, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, My friends, God's plan came to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But oh, believe me and hear me, God's plan was fulfilled before that baby ever drew breath in that manger. Because the hill of Jesus was what crushed the head of the serpent. God's provisions are always enough. You do understand that God provides. I pray that when you bow your head and say grace over your meal, you're not just saying a a prayer of habit or a prayer of tradition. And it's okay to have a traditional prayer. It's okay to have a habit of doing that. But please pay attention to what you're saying. When you bow your head over your food, you're saying, God, thank you for what you've given. Please know that's what you're saying. Because God does provide. His wisdom is higher. His timing is perfect. And His provisions are enough. You look at this stable. All of a sudden, Jesus is born in this stable. He's born and wrapped in swaddling clothes. Laid in a feed trough. How many of you women would love to have that as your delivery room? But yet, it was exactly perfect for Jesus. Why? Why shouldn't the King of kings and the Lord of lords be born in a triumphant state where all the news and press corps are covering the story, where all of the social media at the time, which was word to mouth, is spreading the news? Because remember, Satan has a plan. And his plan is to destroy the works of God. And God has wisdom and purpose and provisions that are way beyond Satan. And he provides Jesus exactly the birth that would escape any view that Satan would have of the King of kings and Lord of lords. No thought would be given to the Son of God being born in such a place and in such a way. And so, ultimately, God is making a fool out of Satan. The Magi from the east to Nazareth comes along later, much later, by the way. And as the Magi from the east come, they bring with them what? Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
What would a baby need with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh? Well, the gold we get, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. That's finances. But the frankincense and myrrh, those are costly treasures too. What was a prophecy about Jesus? A prophecy given in the Old Testament about Jesus is that he would come out of Egypt. Well, guess what? This gold, frankincense, and myrrh were exactly the provisions to finance his travels, Mary's and Joseph and his travels to go flee to Egypt whenever the king's edict came. It was exactly the provisions to allow them to go and to come and to have safe passage for their days. You see, God's provisions are enough. You may not know how that bill's going to get paid. You may not know how your heart's going to be soothed through the tragedy that you're going through. You may not know what opening God is going to have for you next as He orders the steps of your life. But my friends, He knows. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has regarded you as worthy of being a presentation of the wisdom of Himself to a world that's dying and in need. And in that high esteem that God has placed in your life, you can simply trust that God's provisions are enough. And when you do, Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you too, sir. And you're okay. Not that you're completely okay, but you're okay enough to know that God's provided what you need. And in that, you can be settled. And you can find, oh, what's the Bible term for it? Peace that passes understanding. I shouldn't have this peace, but I do. Wow. God, your provisions are enough. And when you gave me Christ, you gave me everything. God's wisdom has provided you that perfect provision. The provision of Christ himself because Jesus is God's gift to you. And I hope you've received him. You know, it'd be very rude. We're going to have a Christmas party here in just a few minutes. Um, with one of the Sunday school classes. It'd be very rude for somebody in that class to hand a gift to somebody else and for the person to go, no, I don't want that. But then again, I've seen some of the gifts they give in that class, so that might be appropriate. But oh, if it's a precious gift, if it's a tremendous gift, you know, $50 to Bass Pro Shops, Give me that. That's just a hint, by the way, in case y'all haven't gotten anything yet. My friends, there's no more precious gift than Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the bright morning star. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. My friends, He is that peace that passes understanding. And when you receive Jesus, when you receive Jesus into your life, you receive not only the gift that saves you from hell for eternity, the gift that has forgiven you of all of your sins. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's the gift that keeps on giving. That's why the Bible is so Important to understand when it talks about those that are mature, with those that have grown in the faith, those that are 
to be considered as elders because the gift of Jesus kept giving and giving and giving and the circumspect walk that people walk in gets broader and broader and broader. Our eyes open wider. And we're able to see whatever I'm going through, it's for his glory and for my development. It's for his esteem and for my walk. And that's the progress of the Christian. Jesus is the God's gift to you, and he's the gift that keeps on giving because he defeats the claim of hell on your life. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to close with Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1 through 3. And you he made alive. Well, there's a gift. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What did that start with? He gave you life. He is the gift that frees you from eternity, separated from him in a real place called hell. He is the gift that forgives you of all of your sins, of all of your trespasses. He is the gift that gives you life. And life eternal defeats the claim of hell on your life. He's also the gift that defines the truth of eternity for you. What's the definition of that truth of eternity? Look at verses 3 through 7. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves, that was us then, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, uh, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards you all in Christ Jesus. My friends, I love it what the missionary said whenever they were saying, if you don't renounce Christ, we're going to kill you. He said, you're going to threaten me with heaven? This world's not your best ever. It's not your reward. It's not your glory. It's not your eternity. This world is passing and all the things in it, and it will one day pass away. You're not going to live forever in the flesh and the blood that courses through your veins right now. One of these days, you're going to draw your last breath here, or you're going to be taken up into glory when that horn blows. Whatever comes first is dependent upon whether or not you're a child of God. Where you see to draw your last breath in this body? We mourn that because we miss the person that that's happened to. But oh, if you're that person and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to wake up with the best yet to come. You're going to wake up with the best that's behind you. And us all hell from that point forward. 
My friends, my hope is that, that the truth of Jesus, that is the gift that's been given to you, defines your truth for eternity. He defines the claim of hell in, on your life has been broken. He defines the truth of eternity for you, and he directs the steps of your way. He's the gift that keeps on giving. Continue on in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his, what's that word, church? God's doing something in you, whatever you're going through. You are the work of God whenever you become the child of God and you are his workmanship and he is doing something through you. Matter of fact, it was created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk through them. When sin ravaged the Garden of Eden, God didn't wring his hands and wag his head. He had a plan. For his glory, for redemption, all of those things we talked about. And when that event happened to you, God's not up in heaven going, what am I going to do to protect Jim? What, what am I going to do to help Mary? What, what am I? God's not worried. Why? Because he prepared it beforehand. That he would craft you and shape you and that you would be his workmanship and that through what he's doing in you you have the opportunity to walk through those situations as a visible presentation of the wisdom of God when you see the Christmas scenes set up in front of you don't just think oh wow it's a holiday Understand, this is the presentation of the wisdom of God and every facet that took place in Bethlehem, every facet that took place in Nazareth, every facet that took place in Egypt was God saying, Satan loses, I win. Satan loses, I win. All the way to the cross, all the way to the death, all the way to the burial, all the way to the resurrection, God's directed the steps and he's directing your steps too. He defeats the claim of hell. He defines the truth of eternity. He directs the steps of your way. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, Scripture says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. My friends, walk circumspectly. Realize that God has it in His hands. And there's nothing that touches your life but what it doesn't pass through the hands of God's God first. Walk circumspectly because the wisdom of God has been revealed to mankind and that's what Christmas is all about, presented as God in the flesh. And if people would only fact check the truth with the truth, there would only be one determination. God, you're in control. And that's really all I need to know. Because you love me, you've provided for me, and your provisions are enough.
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the word that you've given us through your word. And that, God, that it would hit the hearts of people. So that, God, that we would be refreshed in our spirit. But also pray, God, that it hits the minds of people. So that we would think more clearly about what we see around us. Truth defined by the world is still lies. But, oh God, truth defined by you is simply truth. And it's really all we need. And the the essence of the truth that you've given us is that Jesus is the plan. God, may we fully rely upon that truth in what we encounter day to day. And it's in Jesus' name that I do pray. Amen. Pastor Jeff, lead us as we sing.